Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Here we are. Your turn to be on the program comes today as well. If you simply dial 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We have so much to discuss. We have three hours to do it. That's a good thing. We have guns, of course, continuing to dominate the national discussion, continuing to dominate the halls of Congress. There's a New York representative up in the Buffalo way who has decided he's going to abruptly end his reelection campaign. Why? Because he decided to support gun control, and I guess he thinks he's not going to win. His name is Chris Jacobs. There's a scramble now. Well, according to Politico, there's likely to be a scramble for his seat. Chris Jacobs has announced he's not going to seek another term. He's a Republican. He faces a rising backlash from the right, supposedly, following his announcement last week that he's going to support new gun control measures. Mr. Jacobs says it would be an incredibly divisive election for both the Republican Party and the people of the 23rd District. He's a Buffalo representative, and he supports the idea that there should be age restrictions in New York on purchasing semi-automatic weapons, rifles, and he supports, I believe, if I have this right, he supports a ban on one of on the so-called assault weapons. I'll have to double-check that. But definitely he has declared, yes, he wants a ban on semi-automatic weapons and a new minimum age of 18 to purchase them. After he made that announcement, his office was swarmed with messages indicating a lack of support. He's decided now he's not going to run for another term, but he is going to continue to support those two measures. And it's a shame, I think, because if this is what he really believes, then why not run for office? Why not make the case for the voters if this is what he believes, especially in Buffalo, New York, where we had that tragic, horrific, racially motivated killing, killings. The funerals were going on last week as Uvalde was going on, so we didn't see much about it. But they were, of course, as sad as you might expect with the tremendous loss of life in Buffalo, New York. And if he represents that area, if this is what he thinks, then why not face the voters with it? He might have been surprised. Maybe he would have had more support than he could have imagined. So much more in the news today. I want to thank, before we go too further, you know, this week on the Rush Hour, on Boston Early's Rush Hour, we had Don McClain 
It is the 50th anniversary of uh, Bye Bye, Miss, Goodbye, Miss American Pie, that great song that is in the nominated by the Recording Industry of America and also, I believe, National Endowments for the Arts is one of the top five songs of the last century. Uh, there's a children's book that Donald McLean has coming out. It's sort of an autobiographical, autobiographical sketch of his own life. And it's also called American Pie. And we had a wonderful interview with him this week, and so there's that. You can always find the podcast of past shows at WABCRadio.com, where we stream worldwide. This week, we also, yesterday, in fact, had an amazing podcast with virtuoso guitarist. He was the guitarist for Return for Return to Forever. And that was Al Demiola. That is Al Demiola. An incredible musician. He had some amazing stories. Stories about Jaco Pistorius, Stevie Wonder, what it was like when 19 years old when he was suddenly uh he was a student at Berkeley, the music university when he got the call to join Return to Forever, and it was just an incredible story. We have just a few moments of that podcast that we'll play for you a little bit later in the program. So we had quite a week with some fun music interviews, and we're going to continue to do that. I've got a special one coming up. Don't want to announce it just yet, but it is really special in the weeks ahead once we tie it down. Also, we're going to take a look at some of the other news of the day. Peter Stroke, Rush used to call him Stroke Struck, Struck Stroke. He's back in the in the news. He made a comment about Bill Barr and the Sussman trial, which is just as out of touch as anything could be, given his own disgraceful history during the Trump administration. Of course, this is America, so we have continued violence, especially, but not limited to, the blue cities of America. The abortion fight is still raging. There's a story today that back alley abortions are already happening in abortion clinics. We'll get to that. There is an interest from one of New York's congressmen already. And we're going to play a few clips from him. I have problems with this guy's name. I don't, I think it's pronounced, wait a minute, let me just get it. Monari, Monari, M-O-D-N-A-I-R-E. How the hell do you Minari. Anyway, this guy, this is not the first time I've seen this guy. He has been on a tear. Diego, let's play that. Uh, let's start with his cuts right now. Let's let's just get into that. He's been on a tear basically blaming Republicans for the state of life with gun control. There was a hearing in Congress of this week, and this is what he said. Go ahead. Enough is enough. Enough of you telling us that school shootings are a fact of life when every other country like ours has virtually ended it. 
Enough of you blaming mental illness and then defunding mental health care in this country. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. He wasn't done. But do you hear the, the anger? This is a continued theme, by the way, from liberals all over the country. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. They These people are so angry every time someone mentions that they are, when an incident of violence happens, that people around this country are praying for the victims, praying for their families. And this is, this, Democrats and liberals are incensed that people actually pray for those who have been harmed. And you hear it all the time. You hear this seething anger. When Nari Jones wasn't finished, this is what else he said. Hit it. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Well, let us unpack that for a moment. Jago, you're going to have to play that again, because I want everyone to just hear exactly one more time what Mr. Democrat, Minari Jones, New York. By the way, he is going to be up against Bill de Blasio for that new seat that was carved out by Democrats. you got three or four heavyweight Democrats that are all going for that. I think it's the 10th district in New York, and he's one of them. Hit that one more time. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Okay, you will not stop us. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Republicans. You are not going to stop us from passing this gun control measures that we want. All of this is your fault. You will not stop us if you filibuster it. We'll kill the filibuster. Okay, number one, please do. I keep, every time Democrats raise this issue about about getting rid of the filibuster, I say call their bluff. Let them take care of the filibuster because so doing, they will regret it. Beginning next January, they will regret it. They'll be begging for a filibuster to come back. Okay, but number two, because because they will have no more power. The filibuster is designed to make sure that in the Senate, it is not mob rule. It is not a, the Senate is so-called a deliberative body. They're supposed to debate. They're supposed to, this is the, if you remember this business, this is the saucer underneath the teacup. So when the hot tea falls into the saucer, it gets cooled down. There's moderation. There's not all this rush to legislation. This is what supposedly made the United States Senate the world's greatest deliberative body. And now Democrats want to make sure that they can just ramrod anything they want through it. But guess what? They're not going to be in power forever. And if you take away the filibuster, just like Harry Reid did, 
when Harry Reid was the Democrat majority leader, he unilaterally decided to get rid of the rule on the on the filibuster with regard with regard to um, voting for judges. So he did it, and that rule, by the way, went all the way back to the time of Thomas Jefferson. They got rid of it, and what happened? That enabled Mitch McConnell, it enabled later Donald Trump, to make sure that their nominees passed without the usual headaches of Democrat obstruction that the filibuster allowed. And then you had a lot of whining, moaning, gnashing of teeth because the filibuster was gone with that. So go ahead, Monary, get rid of it. This next one that he said, and if you and if it gets past the court, if the court doesn't go along with it, we'll stack the court. This is exactly what we've been saying liberals are. This is out of their own mouth. They don't care what the rules are. If they don't like something, they're going to break the rules, bend the rules. They'll do everything they can. These guys do not play by the rules. Now, think about this. Ever since Roe versus Wade has been enacted, what have Republicans done? And conservative. They didn't like the law. The law was arbitrary in the first place. It was bad law. Even their heroine, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, said this was a really bad law. I'm paraphrasing her. Everybody that looks at the way that law was constructed understood that it was built out of whole cloth. There was no constitutional underpinning for it. And yet, what did Republicans do for 50 years? They've been obeying the law but trying to get it changed through the process. Never once did conservatives or Republicans say, okay, we don't like the law, so we'll stack the court and just add judges until we can get what we want. No, we will live within the framework. Democrats have no such notion. If they don't like something, they're going to go all out, do everything they can, including bending the law, breaking the law, coming up with a new law so that they can get their way. Their way is all that matters on anything. Not whether it's right or wrong, not the long-term ramifications for society, but they have to have their way, and they'll do whatever it takes to get their way. And you hear that attitude with this congressman from New York. We have to take a break. We've got one more cut with him, and then Louis Gohmert responded to him. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, we're coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Phil Collins and Philip Bailey. Bring us back. Phil Bailey, Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire was on the show a few weeks ago. We talked about the fun they had doing the video and doing this work together. Phil Bailey has a foundation 
Music is Unity, and they're doing great work with foster children. What an amazing, fun guy. Again, the phone number is 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Later in the day, after we're done with our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, Larry Kudlow comes in. Let us get back to New York congressman and flamethrower, Madnari Jones. We heard two cuts from him already. And just to refresh your memories, Diego, play them back to back and then then go right into cut five. Just play all three back to back. Go ahead. Enough is enough. Enough of you telling us that school shootings are a fact of life when every other country like ours has virtually ended it. Enough of you blaming mental illness and then defunding mental health care in this country. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. What we will do is not fail the children of this country the way that you have failed us, the generations of Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, and Uvalde. I yield back, Madam Chair. Now, notice this finger-pointing. You, you, you did this. You talk about mental health, and then you defund it. Who the hell is you? Democrats, once again, have a have the trifecta. They have the House of Representatives, they have the Senate, and they have Congress. The Democrat House is where all appropriations bills start constitutionally mandated in the House of Representatives. That means... The only people in charge of the money this time around have been who? Democrats. Obama had eight years. The first two years were another trifecta. They had the House. They had the Senate. They had the White House. What money did they put into mental care while they were running around talking about all the gun violence? And Obama kept, we're better than this. We're better than this. I don't want to come out here again and have to say this. They didn't do a damn thing. They didn't pass anything. They talk. They talk. And then they get mad at people that pray. Who let the mentally ill out into the streets in the first place? Governor Hugh Carey dumped in New York, those of you old enough to remember, should remember, when Governor Carey dumped all the the mentally ill out into the streets of New York. They closed the mentally, they closed the institutions in this state that were taking care of the mentally ill, and it hasn't been the same in New York since. If you go through every single blue city in America run by Democrats, same story. The mentally ill are on the streets. And this clown has the audacity to sit and point his finger at Republicans who are not in these blue cities, who don't run these blue cities, for the mentally ill running around in blue cities, for the mentally ill running around shooting everybody up, 
for the people that commit crimes every week and then go into jail and they're mentally ill, they come right back and do it again? This is insanity on parade. This demagoguery that you get from the left. Every single week they come out with this crap. As for, and by the way, let us be intellectually honest. I am never here to try to present spin without and, and not be honest. Yes, some of these school attacks are not happening in blue cities. They happen in rural areas. And there's a lot of attention this week that are being paid to the mentally ill, the mental health. There were articles this week about how the brains of men, don't, young boys, don't develop and how that contributes into it. In fact, Jerry Nadler said something about that. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it so ironic that the same people that are telling us that the brains of 18-year-olds are not mature enough to handle a gun, but at the same time they're telling us that the brains of 5, 6, and 7-year-olds are definitely mature enough to decide they need a sex change. This is the same party that says, okay, let's give them sex change operations Let's give them puberty blockers at age five, six, seven, because they're, tr- they're mature enough to know that they're not a boy or, or they're mature enough to know that they're not a girl. But these same people say to us, well, they're, they're, they're not 25 yet. They're not, you know, they're, their brains, they can't handle the idea. And you know what? There is something to be said about male maturity. And that has to be a discussion. But just notice that they never, ever, ever are consistent with their arguments. They can talk about the lack of maturity when it suits their fancy. But when it comes to this idea that young children should be given puberty blockers that are irreversible while they are minors, in some cases, while they're not even anywhere near puberty. All of a sudden, you hear not one peep of objection. You hear crickets. If you want to weigh in on this, please feel free. There's one other thing that we're going to tie the loop, and then we're going to move and start talking about reparations. We have a guest at uh, California. California, the state that leads everything, has now come out with a study. And by the way, I did not do a knee jerk with this. My initial impulse was to say, oh, this is just California, and let's disregard this. But I read through some of the report, and I'll, I have to say, wow, it was a comprehensive report. Anyway, Archie Pruitt will be here to discuss California rep- reparations and other things like that. We have a full plate. We're going to talk about crypto and the next hour. You know, there's been a crypto crash, and Governor Hochul and the New York legislature have done something that I think is incredibly stupid. They have banned crypto mining in New York State. In other words, they're looking at the entire change in the crypto market, which is the biggest force, will be the biggest force in the economy since the Internet. And they're saying New York is closed for business. Absolutely dumb. But... A lot more to go, and we've got some fun, too. Hopefully we're going to hear a little bit of the podcast from Al Demiola and some of the others a little bit later in the show. And, of course, your phone calls, 800-848-WABC, 
888-900-9222. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oh, knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. W-A-B-C. Talk Radio 77. It is Saturday morning. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here. You can be part of it. 800-848-WABC is the number. Diego, who's this? This is Alana Miles. Alana Miles. What's the name of the song? Black Velvet. Ooh, I love this. Diego's in the house rocking the music for us this this morning. All right, so we heard from Congressman Modinari Jones waving his finger at everybody else pointing at everybody else for the failures of liberalism as usual. Louis Gohmert was offended by the whole thing. Our friend Louis Gohmert, Congressman Louis Gohmert from Tyler, Texas. And this is what Louis, this is how Louis responded. Hit it. I don't think uh, that it's very effective for the children to have People on the other side of the aisle come in and accuse Republicans of being complicit in murder and that we put our right to kill over others' right to live to infer by rhetorical supposed questions, who are you here for? We must be here for the gunman is an outrage. How dare you? You think we don't have hearts? It's just that when we look at the things that you're doing and you're trying to do to America, we've seen the carnage. I mean, for heaven's sake, let's let's take example. Democrats control the major cities that have the worst murder rates. That's right. Your ideas have been shown to get people killed. Are you here for the murders, the murderers in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in these other major cities? Because you're wanting to do nationally what is being done by Democrats in those big cities. We care about people. We care about their lives. 
and lives have been so trivialized. We care deeply. How dare you? How dare you? You arrogant people attributing murder to those of us that want to do things to stop it. Because we've seen what your ideas do. They create more murder. Okay, let's look. Rochester, New York. These are cities that set the all-time high homicide rates in 2021. That was Louis. And what prompted that in a longer speech, the same congressman did accuse Republicans of being complicit in the deaths. And who are you here for? You're here for the gun lobby? Who are you here for? Not for the children, blah, blah, blah. So Louis was reacting to the whole thing. And that is absolutely right. We have seen what their ideas do to people. We've seen it time and time again. And speaking of mental health, we have a call that I want to take right now from Hackensack, New Jersey. Mental health, remember that? You people have done nothing but defund mental health. Louie, Hackensack, New Jersey, welcome. Boston Nerdy Saturday Radio Extravaganza. Good morning. Good. Good. I, I've been trying. I've written letters to papers and Congress people, and to no avail. Um, I wonder if you remember our former First Lady of New York City, oh, sure. Charlene McRae. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it seems that there's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are going unaccounted for, and she was in charge of it. And I think it was called Operation Thrive, and that was to help the mentally health uh, mental people on the streets. Now, I I would assume that 30, 40 percent of this crime that's being committed is by mentally helped uh, afflicted people. Where is the money? And I'll never forget when the post uh, post uh, reporter pushed her for an answer. And it's on the front page of the post. You can research the archives. Haters will always hate. That was her answer. And she strutted away. And in my opinion, the man who should have been mayor, Curtis Sliwa, promised the people, if elected, the first investigation will be her. You haven't had heard boo about her. And you I are absolutely right. <clears throat> and I've raised this issue any number of times. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars that was put under her control. There's been no audit of the money. No one knows how the money was spent. Nobody knows where the money disappeared to. We have seen no results in the city of New York for the number and for the money. And neither the local press, mainstream press, or the national press has questioned, where did these tens of millions of dollars go? And why has she not and her husband, de Blasio, not been called into account for this money? It is an outrage. But, of course, this is what you get in liberal land. One outrage after another. And, of course, the money has disappeared. So, Louis, thank you for bringing that up. Maybe Mr. Jones, if he's through wagging his fingers at Republicans, might care to look into where the mental health money went in New York that was supposed to help those people who are afflicted with mental illness. Thanks for the call. Now, I mentioned earlier, folks, we're going to shift gears here, that there is, there was a study that was released in California this week about reparations. 
And this is going to become more important as the weeks and months go by because what happens in California is typically the model for what liberals and progressives roll out for the rest of the country. Basically, what this report said was that the state had acted in ways harmful to African-Americans. It had, for instance, segregated them into towns where there was higher levels of pollution. It had segregated them by state policy. And that the people, that the descendants of the people that were harmed by the states should be paid out. I could think of no better person to ask about this than the CEO of the African American Education Alliance and the CEO of New Journey. Full disclosure, it is a political action committee that yours truly founded a number of years ago. Autry Pruitt. Autry has written a book about Donald Trump. He wrote that back in 2015, I believe. Uh, He is also uh, a successful businessman in the real estate area and other areas. Audrey, welcome, Boston Early Saturday Morning Radio <laughs> Extravaganza. How are you? I'm doing well. So glad to be with you early this morning. It is <laughs> early, early on the East Coast. So glad to be here. It is. Now, California, let's first a minute talk about this gun violence in almost every mm-hmm. single black neighborhood yeah. and, and blue city and Hispanic black neighborhoods predominantly in the country. Why is it so hard for the Democrats to come to grips with the violence that is occurring in blue city after blue city. Because it's black folks getting shot. That's why. If Democrat, if Hillary Clinton's kids were getting shot, right? If <laughs> I don't want to get anybody in trouble on the radio today. <laughs> if white liberals kids were getting shot up every day, Democrats would care. But Democrats have proven over and over again since the founding of the country, Democrats have proven that they do not care about black lives unless they can make some money from them. Just ask BLM. They just don't care. Ask 68 million babies aborted. Nowhere. They're gone. So that's why <laughs> that's why there's still gun violence. Lori Lightfoot. And her uh, partner, her white liberal partner, every weekend, 28 shot, 26 shot, seven dead, every, every weekend. Not one weekend is skipped. She's a Democrat. She's black. Does she care? No, she doesn't care. So it's, it's, it's unless they can make some money off of dead black folks like George Floyd, they don't care. That's a harsh indictment. It's true. All right, so at the same time, if you add up all those deaths and you look at and I'm not trying to diminish the people that are killed in these school attacks. they It is horrific what has happened in the nation's schools. I am of the opinion, and I've said this, and if it causes some uproar among certain conservative circles, that is just the way it is. I don't understand, for instance, how you can have background checks. These these last two shootings were happened with, 18-year-old kids who bought weapons legally. They were supposed to go through background checks. And apparently they did go through background checks. Whoever did the background check should be fired. Because they these, these individuals were not vetted properly. So I maintain 
that the only point that I will agree somewhat with Democrats, when Democrats call for common sense gun control, the biggest problem is that Democrats, to me, don't have common sense. <laughs> and so how can, no, and I'm serious, I don't mean that to be snarky or mean. Common sense means there is a commonality of thought. There is something in common. There is a common sense that most of us can agree upon. But when you always examine what Democrats put up for legislation, over half the country cannot agree with it because it is so radical. So that is not common sense. They have their own sense about what's, what should happen, but it's not common sense. There's two forms of background checks. There's the formal form of background checks, but Democrats don't want the second form of background checks. The second form of background checks is saying, I'm sorry, kid, but you wearing black every day, you sitting in the corner by yourself, is not an exercise of your truth. You're a little bit weird, it's a little bit odd, and we need to have somebody go to your house and talk to you. So the problem is all these kids have something in common. They're oddballs and they're weirds, and you have a whole entire party that says it's okay to be oddboard. Draw per, draw stuff on your face, have 18 holes in your face, get in the corner, wear black. Don't mess with them. Know their truth. Let them be in a black trench coat. And then when they shoot at the school, you act surprised. The first background check is, hey, this kid is a little bit strange. Can someone go talk to this sucker and see if he's going to shoot us tomorrow? Think about that. All, every single one of these kids, after the interview, they say, yeah, this kid was a little bit odd. He was a little bit weird. And I can guarantee you, what did the liberals say? Leave him alone. Let him own his truth. Let him be himself. Don't try to push your agenda on him. Don't try to push your morals on him. I'm sorry. Guess what? You have purple hair. You're crazy. You're wearing a black. You have a bullhorn through your nose. I'm going to call you weird and make sure you're not going to shoot up my kid tomorrow. That's the first background check. Then you can get to the FBI for the second. WABC Talk Radio 77. Audrey Pruitt with James Golden on the Saturday morning. Radio Extravaganza. We're coming back right after this. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. From the summer of 1970... What does it take to win your love? A Motown classic, Junior Walker and the All-Stars. One of my favorites, and especially apropos this morning. Hey, Archer, you recognize that voice, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's your grandfather. Yes, it is. It is. Yes, it is. Um, just a remarkable, remarkable, talented man. I come from an extraordinary talented family, actually. By the way, your listeners should know, James, as you know as Bo, is absolute. His knowledge of music. I have sat with him and had arguments <laughs> for three and four hours. And to prove his point, James will pull up music. I haven't heard of I've never, at groups. Yeah, this group played on 63rd Street in the right in the corner. It's a grocery store now. They used to come out 2 a.m. and play it, go back in at 3. And then this guy transferred this. I mean, James' knowledge of music 
his knowledge of many things, his intellect in general is absolutely stunning. It's awe-inspiring. And but his knowledge of music is like you should have a music show, like a trivia show. <laughs> it's Thank it's you. just it's just insane. And if you name one artist that James doesn't know and connect it, then he's like, oh yeah, I heard them. Ah uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I heard him. He, he can't play. You're like, but he's got grams. Ah, he don't know nothing. Don't worry about it. He don't know nothing. <laughs> Let me tell you why. He did 17 chord changes. It should have It should have been a dominant seventh at the end. It wasn't. He stole it off Margaret's album. He ain't nothing. I mean, changes. <laughs> I, and that's not joke. One day we stayed. We started at 7 p.m., y'all. We kept going to about 2, 3 in the morning. And James said, Autry, you got to go home. I got a radio show during the morning. <laughs> Let's talk about California reparations for a minute. Um, this, Audrey, I took this seriously because yeah. what happens in California, by the way, our telephone number, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Coming up the next hour, James Eisenberg, we're going to talk a little bit of crypto and what New York has done, which to me is incredibly stupid by trying to drive the crypto market out of New York. And, of course, during the 9 o'clock hour, our princess of policy, the one and only Diana Mee, We'll be here, and we will talk about the latest with Peter Navarro. And there's a big story we started to talk about yesterday about what you conservatives are doing for the next election. Democrats are in a full panic mode. We'll do all of that with the Princess of Policy, Diana Me, when she comes up later. But right now, Archie, let's focus mm-hmm. on this reparations in this California. This is a let's do it. <laughs> this is a big. This is a major study. And these guys, for a change, to me, this wasn't just some little, let's put together some little glossy. Uh, they actually did an in-depth study of California history mm-hmm. and how people have been affected by the government and race, by liberals and race. And what they have come to see, and I've been saying this a long time, Democrats always talk about structural racism. There's structural racism. They always turn their finger at America. Oh, America is so evil. Because since the beginning, we've been a structurally racist country. If you want to know where structurally structural racism is, look inside the Democrat Party. Look at everywhere that Democrats have ruled, and that's where you will find racism. California, no different. Now, yes, I know California was not always in Democrat Party hands. But for the most part, California has been in liberal hands, with very few exceptions. What's your take? Uh, My take is, although, and you're right, the study's in depth, it's good, why don't they do something with the money like study how to get the homeless off the street? Study how to keep illegal immigrants from snatching jobs from black folks. Study how to slow down the enormous exploding abortion rate. You know, why don't they study about how to lower black business owners' taxes? How about study how to let black landlords kick tenants out in a timely manner so they don't go bankrupt and they can't more? So my problem is, is that the Democrats spend a lot of time in the past solving past problems because they have no solutions for the present and they sure ain't got nothing to do for the future. That's why they I've note. I've thought about this. They spent all of their time trying to solve something in the past because they have nothing to do, nothing to say about the future. Even the president they elected is like a walking reminder of 40 years ago. (laughs) He's the past, and he's walking around mumbling to himself trying to solve the past. (laughs) 
No, Joe Biden did say something that I thought was that, that will come back to haunt Democrats in this speech the other night when he said that there is no there is no nothing in the Constitution that is absolute. You don't have any rights that are absolute. Well, Mr. Biden, let us see whether you will say that if, as expected, within the next four to six, six weeks, the Supreme Court rules that Roe versus Wade was bad law and is gone. Is, are you going to come out there and say, well, you know, it never was an absolute. This thing that we've been talking about, a woman's right to choose to take out somebody else's body. That was not ever absolute. I want to see if they do that. I absolutely agree. But again, even that's an argument. He's arguing about something that's in the past. Right. <laughs> the, no matter the Democrats, whatever, whatever the case is, they cannot get it straight. They've got to leave the stuff in the past. And what the, what's happening now is you're starting to see black Americans realize, guess what? All this stuff and talking about the past and the we shall overcome and, and the marches, all that stuff is not really helping in the present. It's not giving me a job now. And by the way, successful blacks, were. Th- this is my problem with reparations. This is my problem. I'm sorry in advance. I'm a guest here. I, after today, I have to be back no out, more. Man. Come on. Black folks need to stop begging white folks for stuff. Stop it. It's ugly, it's nasty, it's not a good look. If they didn't want to give it to you when they owed it to you, they damn sure don't want to give it to you now. So stop begging white folks for stuff. James LeBron doesn't beg white folks for nothing. Oprah Winfrey doesn't beg white folks for nothing. Despite the fact that they glom on to this Democrat victimhood, they don't beg white people for anything. If you want something, go out and get it. Snatch it, take it, earn it, whatever. Hey, 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 snatch it. We don't want, we got enough of that going on in New York already. And BLM. <laughs> That's All a right, good point. Fair on. point. I take that back. Okay, don't snatch anything. <laughs> I take that back. I'll go back to 1994. I like to revise and extend my, my remarks. <laughs> snatch it. <laughs> but it's, it's, just just stop begging. And, 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 and this is the problem. When I saw the, the picture uh, of the article, of the, all the African-Americans speaking up during the California Reparations Task Force, what if you took that same energy, that same time, and put it into starting a business, that same energy and that same time in rebuilding your communities, that same energy and that same time in making microloans, that same energy and same time in becoming an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor. So instead you spend all this money, all this time trying to solve something from 1850. Give me a break. <clears throat> that is Archie Pruitt, founder of a new. Uh, I'm the founder of New Journey. <laughs> Archie's the CEO of New Journey, and also he's the CEO of, an, of a um, the African American uh, Education Alliance. What does that do, Archie? We, oh my gosh, we <laughs> little little studio jumble here. Uh, the African American Education Alliance does two things. One, we provide educational reading material to all sorts of individuals that live in predominantly uh, black American neighborhoods. For example, we got a gift, uh, a generous gift from a donor who wanted to remain nameless, and we started sending out copies for free, for free, 
and he didn't even know we were doing it, of Mark Levin's book, um, American Marxism. It's highly educational. You may disagree with some point, but it is a side of is a history of the country, a side of the debate that most of these kids would never, ever hear or read. Never, ever hear or read. And so we send those materials out. We send out financial literature. And then in addition to that, we have done a couple uh, of scholarships. And by the way, we're called the African-American Education Alliance, but our couple of scholarships actually went to Asian students that were interested in helping when they graduated black students. So it wasn't a lot. Because we're, you know, we're still small, but that's what we do. We're just about getting edu- getting educational materials out that everybody else wants to burn or bury. And then on the New Journey side, that's newjourneypack.org. Uh, and that's where people can reach you through, right? Newjourneypack.org. That's correct. Info at newjourneypack.org. On that side, it's very simple. Uh, we are dedicated to moving black voters from the blue column to the red column. Archie Pruitt, thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you, kind sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't snatch. Um, <laughs> James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy. Listen, we have two hours left. we got a lot more to do, a lot more news to cover. Um, and we're going to take a look at some news stories that you might not hear anyone else. And, of course, your telephone calls are coming up. 800-848-WABC, 800 This is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James Golden, Snurley here with you. Two hours left. You're going to want to be here for each and every one of them. Have a cup of coffee with us. I'm having my, what, fourth cup of coffee now? Yeah, going to need a bio break soon, but, oh, that's a little too much information. Coming back right after this, don't go away. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Our number duo, here we are, it's Saturday morning. Welcome to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, here with you each and every Saturday. 7 a.m., 10 a.m. after us, Larry Kudlow steps in, one of the great economists in our country. You know, I had a talk the other day with some friends of mine, one of them, it was a guy I met. He's a heavy real estate guy. And he went on and how, how Dr. Soul, Thomas Soul, he was a big fan of Dr. Thomas Soul. He didn't know that I, Walter Williams, who was my mentor in so many, Walter Williams used to sit in for Rush Limbaugh in the early days of the show. Walter Williams passed away last year. Walter Williams was just such a great human being, a great economist, Dr. Walter Williams. And he and Thomas Sowell, Dr. Thomas Sowell, who is still living, Thomas Sowell is about 90. Dr. Sowell is one of the preeminent economists, uh, economists in the world and an amazing scholar in all aspects of scholarship. He has his, the guy is a prolific writer. I don't know how many books he's written. And he's brilliant. He's so brilliant. It's amazing. Uh, so I was mentioning that to him. I just got a uh, I, something just just flashed it on with me because talking about Larry Kudlow, who's a great economist, we have on the conservative side of the aisle so many intellectual giants. But when it comes to economists, that's who the three that I look toward: Dr. Thomas Sowell, Dr. Walter Williams, and Larry Kudlow. And Larry Kudlow is here 
each and every Saturday. He's an amazing man. And his view, not only of the economy, but of our political scene, folks, you got to stick around after this show and, and check out Larry. He's just amazing. WABC, yes, you are. We stream, by the way, worldwide, anywhere in the world, anytime. All you have to do is go to WABCradio.com, get that WABC app, tell your friends about it. It's a wonderful thing. Dr. Oz won. The results are in from the Pennsylvania primary. His, His opponent, McCormick, conceded, and apparently it was a nice concession call, and Mr. McCormick is now, David McCormick, is now going to get behind the candidacy of Dr. Mehmet Oz. Oz had already declared himself the presumptive Republican nominee. Of course, Donald Trump had supported Dr. Oz. So all of those liberals who've been writing about Donald Trump's waning influence. I mean, the guy is about 99 to maybe two when it comes to his endorsees winning. We have never seen anything like it. One or two, like the biggest one was Purdue in Georgia that didn't win, but Purdue ran a horrible campaign. I mean, the, the person that is endorsed actually has to run a good campaign. So Dr. Oz has won. He will be the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania. And, folks, if we are going to look toward 2024, we need we need Pennsylvania in the pocket. We have a lot of listeners in Pennsylvania. Those of you in Pennsylvania, you want to comment on that, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. New York City parents are fuming, fuming. Because Mayor Adams, this is in BizPack Review today, Mayor Adams will not rescind this absurd, non-scientific mask mandate for toddlers in New York. I mean, can you believe it? We are still dealing with a mask mandate in New York City for toddlers. In, Mayor Adams, I, I, I don't want to be the guy every week that comes here and it's just so negative, negative, negative on Mayor Adams. But I'm going to tell you what, I don't understand this guy. I don't understand what his priorities are. They certainly are not toward getting New York back to the preeminent status that it should be, leading not only the nation but the world's economy. They are certainly not toward resolving this COVID business and putting it behind us in a way that makes sense so that New York is truly free and open again. I don't get this guy. And they're certainly not toward fixing the crime problem that he was mandated to fix. If you look around, there are so many stories. Every week I could come in here and just spend an hour on the violence that is taking place in New York, on the lawlessness that is taking place in New York. I don't want to do it every day. I read these stories every day, and some of them are sickening. And it's not just New York. It's around the country. Around the country in Michigan, two Republicans have now exhausted their appeals. They're not going to be on the ballot for the governor's race. You know what happened to them? Perry Johnson, Michael Markey, forged signatures 
Now, they're not accused of forging the signatures. The people that went out and gathered signatures for them ran scams on them and, and submitted phony signatures, left them short of the 15,000 threshold. And the state Supreme Court says, no, 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 you two Republicans, you're not going to be on the ballot. And I just think it's amazing that election law always, like every other law in America apparently, applies only to Republicans. When Democrats have a problem with election law, what happens? The judges say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. The right to vote is more important. Look at what they did in Pennsylvania. They had mail-in ballot laws in the last presidential election. The court just said, eh, COVID, eh, the laws don't matter, let's change them, while the contest was still going on. And that is acceptable. And it happens time and time and time again. In fact, Louis Gohmert, we heard a great quote from him going back at this, these, these, these House Democrats with their horrible rhetoric around the, the shootings that have taken place in this country. But Louis had another comment I read in the news about how Republicans are the only ones that the law applies to. You can lie to Congress if you're a Democrat. You cannot lie to Congress if you're a Republican. You can lie to the FBI if you're a Democrat, like Sussman, but you can't lie to Congress if you're a Republican, that it is a two-tier justice system in the United States. And I got to tell you, that is where we are headed, and unless that gets resolved, where there is one standard of justice that goes across political parties, we are headed down a bad path with that. And I'm not saying that these Republicans in Michigan should have been granted a pass, but what I am saying is that the law shouldn't just apply to Republicans. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, when there's an issue with elections and it's Republicans, oh, we have to we have to adhere to the letter and the spirit of the law. When it comes to Democrats taking something to court on election law, eh, it's more important to look at the intent. What was the intent of the statute? James Eisenberg coming up in a few moments. We're going to talk a little bit of crypto. And, folks, if you don't know anything about crypto, listen, we're going to try to do this in a way that makes sense. James Eisenberg is the CEO of of Interblock Capital, and they deal with crypto and other things every day. He is a veteran of the uh, Internet, internet, I guess, buildup. He was back there in the early days of the Internet with Netscape. He's a... He understands this market better than anybody else I know. And we're going to talk about something that happened in New York. The New York State Legislature has told crypto miners, no, you can't do business in New York because we're concerned about fossil fuel. In other words, they bent over and grabbed the ankles for the environmentalists earlier this week. We want to talk with him about that. Also, for those of you that really want an understanding of what crypto is, you see a lot of stories about how people have been scammed with crypto. That's true, but that's not the full story. There are a lot of people now and companies like Fidelity that are in the crypto. If you want to just get a brief education, we'll do that in a few minutes. And then later on today, of course, Princess of Policy, Diana Mee, and we're going to talk about some of the indictments 
that have come down off this January 6th kangaroo court and some of the other things in the news, including a really interesting article fearful of what you conservatives are planning to do in the next elections. Many of you are actually planning to go to the polls and become poll watchers, and Democrats and liberals are beside themselves. And they're blaming Trump for what they think is going to be the collapse of our society because Republicans, imagine that, are going to go to the polls. So we've got a lot more of that, and there's so many other news stories. Wow. West Virginia. There was a shootout, one deputy dead. Of course, you're not going to hear too much about this because it's a law enforcement officer. Another injured. One of the suspects is dead. There was a horrific crime that took place. Five members of a family killed by a member of someone that is reported to be in the Mexican mafia, held in jail in Texas, was escapee, and killed five people. And my question is, how is a member, one of the things I kept looking for, was he in the country legally? Don't know. Out of Missouri, two teenagers showed up to fight a 16-year-old girl at her home. The mom answered the door. The, the, The daughters, there were two daughters, they woke up the mother. This happened really late at night. So the mother goes to the door, answers the door. The girls say they want the 16-year-old. This is a group of girls. They demand that the 16-year-old daughter come out so they could beat her butt. The mother's like, are you crazy? She's not coming out. So what did this group of two teenage girls do? these, These two teenage girls, what did they do? The two teenage girls grabbed the mother. Well, either she's coming out or we are coming in. They punched the mother. They ended up beating the mother. And it was just insanity. They used a cane on the mother as well. This is what teenagers Come out. I want to beat up your daughter. No. Okay, we'll beat you up instead. Folks, there is insanity that is widespread in this country. There are other stories. There's one I have to get through a little bit later. I'm, I'm debating whether I can even do it. Because I don't know whether I'll be able to contain my emotions. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. I see your calls. We're going to start taking calls really soon. Be a little bit more patient and don't go anywhere. And those of you that still want to be part of the program, if the numbers are busy, you can try us a little bit later. 800-848-WABC is that number to call. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. We're coming back right after this. Talk Radio 77. W-A-B-C. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 W-A-B-C.
WABC with the smoke. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. I second that emotion. Another Motown hit. Smokey Robinson album that is pretty amazing. It is their lo- it is the last performance that Smokey did with the Miracles before he went solo. It's a recap of their entire career. It was recorded, I believe, in the Washington, D.C. area back in 1972. If you can get that album, if you're a Smokey fan and you haven't heard that album, it is so good. Smokey's voice is incredible, and he has his talent on full display live. You can rarely hear a singer that can pull it off live even better than they do in the studio. Smokey Robinson was one of them. Just amazing. And also responsible for so many hits with Motown. He was songwriter. In fact, like the Temptations, My Girl. That's a Smokey Robinson song. And you can go down the list. He had so many hits for other artists. And was vice president of Motown with Barry Gordy. What an amazing talent. Smokey Robinson. This year has to mark, I think, close to... Oh, maybe 50, he's maybe past 50 years in the business. Amazing talent. James Golden, we have with us James Eisenberg, who's the co-host of a remarkable podcast called The Future Is Now, dealing with all things crypto, blockchain, the coming world. James, thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning, bro. Good to be here. Thank you so much. The podcast that we do together... James, has certainly enlightened me as to this world of cryptocurrency and blockchain. I, like many people, total novice coming in. Your background, of course, coming from the Internet, coming from the from the financial world, you are just so well-suited to understand this. So my first question to you, before we get into the specifics of what New York did this week, New York legislators, <clears throat> is this. We have lots of people listening this morning, probably, that don't know a thing about crypto other than they read this crypto, crypto stuff. They don't understand it. They don't understand how it works, what it is. Can you give people a brief overview of the importance of what is happening now with crypto and what it is? Sure. So probably what most people know about crypto is Bitcoin. And and Bitcoin is an application that sits on top of this new technology called blockchain. And to to really get this, you have to go back to the 90s and think about the Internet, because no one really knew anything about the Internet. I I was out at Netscape in uh, in the mid-90s, and I was telling all my friends back in New York, you got to get involved with this thing. It's called the Internet. (laughs) They (laughs) thought I was crazy. And they said, no one's ever going to put a credit card online, and people aren't going to send mail to people in their personal thoughts on uh, in this computer stuff and they were afraid of it it was there was a lot of unknowns uh, and it was kind of complex for someone who wasn't really around computers a lot so fast forward you know 25 years and it's a part of our everyday life you can't even think about going out of the house without your phone you're on the comp- you're on the internet constantly 
blockchain technology is the next upgrade. So there was the Internet in the 90s, and that grew into what we all used to say, our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Snapchat. And now we're going to blockchain. And blockchain is an entirely new technology that makes use of the Internet, which came before it, but is going to open up so many new jobs and so many new careers and so much wealth for people, just like the Internet did. So this is really a time where we want to be embracing this new technology. Now, to, to understand like what the key differences is between the old web, let's call it uh, web one and two, this is when we're just starting out. And if anyone remembers back to the 90s, websites were just kind of like billboards. We would just go there and we'd get information. And that by itself was pretty cool. It was like a magazine online. And then we had Web2 come, and that was more about uh, social media, two-way interactions, blogging. This is when all this stuff took off. Um, and, and what happened over the next 10 years or so from like 2000 to 2010 is the social media companies became extraordinarily powerful because they were the owners of all this information about us. They knew who our friends were, where we'd go for dinner, uh, you know, what, what our most personal, intimate thoughts about life. And they mined this data <laughs> and sold it to advertisers, made a fortune, created trillions of dollars of market wealth. And, and most of that wealth resides in the hands of a relatively few number of shareholders. Meanwhile, the users that created all this data and all this information, these videos and these photos, they didn't really get paid anything. You know, in, in some cases, they get paid very small percentages. Now, the reason is because these centralized companies own all this information. In Web3, which is what we're going to call this new blockchain world, the information is owned by us. This is a, this is a huge shift. So we're going from Facebook and Google knowing everything about us and selling our information and we don't get paid to a world where we all own our own information. We carry it around in these digital wallets on our phones and we share it uh, with websites and with others, um, perhaps for a fee and certainly by permission. So it's a very private system compared to the Internet. And uh, it's what we call distributed, meaning that it's owned by a lot of people. It's not centralized. So these are some of the big differences. There are, there are others. But just to kind of get your head around it, we're going from a centralized system where there's a few major players to a decentralized system where the populace essentially owns these technologies. And that might sound like a subtle difference, not a big deal, but it's a tremendous difference. And, and in, that, in that difference comes the opportunity for all of us to participate in a way that we could not participate when the Internet was being born. Mm -hmm. And that's where these new currencies come in, correct? Yes. Now, so what most people heard about is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is the first application on the blockchain. Similarly to like email was like the first big application on the Internet. The idea of Bitcoin is this concept of electronic money where we can have our Bitcoin on our on our phones or in our wallets and we can go and we can purchase things in stores and we can send money to uh, friends. We can send money internationally for people who send remittances to home countries. And this is this technology is very fast and it's very secure and it's instant. 
And so today, if anyone sent a wire, if, if they've sent a wire through the banking system, sometimes it takes days. There's a lot of information that needs to take place. And at the end of the day, your bank controls your money. You don't control your money. Of course, we've seen this in Canada where the government decided to just take the money out of people's bank accounts who were supporting truckers. We've seen this in Russia where the United States basically just locked down uh, <laughs> Russian $650 million of, of dollars. Uh, we see this. In, uh, in all sorts of ways when people become, let's say, uh, um, maybe not in support of their local governments or it, it having a, have an opinion that's contrasting with opinion of uh, the status quo, the narrative that everyone wants you to go along with. So let's say you don't, you can be a person that's non-gratis and they can cut you off. So who really owns your money there? If you want to send a wire on Saturday, you can't send a wire on Saturday. <laughs> Thanks for right. Right. You want to go to you want to you want to do any kind of banking after hours. You can't do that. And so that money's not yours in in the crypto world. The money's yours. If you want to send a wire to India at 1 a.m. on a Sunday, have at it. Go down to your computer. You type in some codes. The money sent. It's there in a minute. You look into the wallet of the person in India, your counterparty. It's instant settlement. This is like remarkable. And we're, we're not talking about small amounts of money. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. And this is why. Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and Fidelity and all the big banks are adopting this technology. There are thousands of job openings in crypto right now because we're, we're witnessing a shift. If you remember the Internet, the Internet really fundamentally changed media. Right. And, and the media companies did not like it. They didn't like it at all. Jack Welch famously said, you know, I don't know how to compete here because I'm trading my uh, uh, analog dollars for digital dimes. And it was a new model. And then here comes Craig, you know, guy in San Francisco with 18 friends. They basically put the newspaper uh, business out of business by having innovating a better model for, for classified ads, which is like sort of the lifeblood of newspapers. We're seeing this happening now with blockchain. Blockchain is going to radically change the banking industry. And I think this has something to do with New York's sort of hostile um, relationship with crypto because I think a lot of legislators are – are uh, really under the spell of, of the legacy banking system. And, and this, is, this is an issue because these are the short-sighted moves that, that the legislature is making that is going to have a long-term impact. So New York this week, the legislator, and <clears throat> we don't know whether the governor is going to sign or veto it. There were indications that she would sign it, but that I'm not sure of. Anyway, the the New York legislature basically said to crypto miners, and I don't want to get into the specifics of that right now, but people engaged in developing cryptocurrencies, they said, no, you're not going to do business in New York because it drains too much energy that's reliant on fossil fuels. They bent over for the pretext is that they're bending over for environmental concerns. But what they're really doing is displaying a hostility to close New York to this business, while other cities and states are trying to figure out how can we welcome this new economy. Miami is all in. California, the governor there, is trying to make his state as friendly as possible to this new emerging way of the economy. Correct? Yeah, I mean this is this is a really big deal. I, I grew up on Long Island in the in the 70s. I was a kid, and there was an explosion. My mom and dad moved out to Long Island in the 60s from from New York, and there wasn't anything out there. It was just farms, 
And then in the 70s and 80s, there was just an explosion of technology because Long Island embraced the defense industry. There was Grumman and TRW and Lockheed, and all of these defense contractors came on Long Island, and it spawned an entire ecosystem. My friend's father built a electronics company, and my mom got me my first software job in the living room of a someone in Stony Brook that was writing some RPG code. And I was sort of steeped in technology. And my high school, Ward Melville, had one of the first computer departments on Long Island. And I was the beneficiary of that. I got to use some of the first computers that existed on Long Island. And that created a lifelong love for me and interest in technology. And that's what brought me to California and Silicon Valley and Netscape and Ernst & Young and all these other amazing experiences I had. It was because Long Island embraced technology. And what we're seeing happen now in New York, so this bill, so you have to do understand a little bit about mining in order to appreciate this. The, the, the systems that run, because they're decentralized as opposed to centralized, when you have a centralized system like Facebook, Facebook runs all the computers. In a decentralized system, we run the computers. And so there are these miners, which can be as simple as someone's laptop to very complex giant data centers that run these networks. And these networks being run by these the different computers is how the network gets secured. And the security systems on these networks are better than what exists today, right? And I can tell you that with certainty because Bitcoin's network is worth something like $800 billion. It's been open sourced since 2009. It's never been hacked. There's $800 billion sitting out there in the ether in an open source software, and no one's figured out how to get it. Because this is a very, very secure technology, and, and it, they use the same cryptography that they use in, like, nuclear missile silos. So this stuff is secure. Okay, so these miners, they use a lot of power, and this is the issue, right? So there, there are different ways to secure a network, and this particular way with all these decentralized computer systems, this is called proof of work, if you ever see that POW. And then there's another type called proof of stake, which we won't talk about, but essentially that is, uh, uses much less electricity. So this proof of work, this happens to be the system of Bitcoin, which is the largest blockchain. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of a target right at Bitcoin and a target right at this consensus model called proof of work. Now, it does use a lot of power, but what you never see in these headlines is that 60% of the Bitcoin hash rate, the power, computing power, is powered by renewable sources. Tell me another industry that's 60% renewable. And there is a you know, I don't even think the wind industry is 60% renewable because they have to you know, build everything with fossil fuels for the, for the windmills. So like, we're not really – this is not an intelligent argument that, that the legislators is making. And, uh, and you can't even make this argument without talking about what is it replacing. So if you want to say, okay, Bitcoin uses X amount of fossil fuels, how much does the banking industry use? Right. Okay. I mean, what's the comparison here? And, and when you think about what I just told you about Long Island's history, this is like a new space race right now. So we're like in 1963, and New York is saying we don't want any rockets in our state. So, so this, what happens is if you kick out the miners, you kick out the whole industry because it's an ecosystem. And we've already seen New York's miners drop by 50% just this year because of all the uncertainty in the regulatory environment. And we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars of investment and trillions of dollars of market cap of companies that are they're just leaving. They're going to Texas. They're going to Wyoming. They're going to Alaska. They're going to Colorado. Even California, 
Governor Newsom put out an executive order basically embracing crypto and blockchain, saying we're going to use it in government services because it's so efficient. We're going to do exploration. He's, he's bear-hugging the industry, and he's smart because his state is losing its bleeding businesses to Texas right now because right. the Texas environment is offering all sorts of incentives, like <clears throat> the kind of incentives you offer football teams to come because the amount of long-term economic benefit to a region is we haven't seen anything like this since the internet. So this is a huge opportunity, and New York is, is taking a pass on it. James, that's the time we have today. We're going to explore this more. <clears throat> Urge people to go visit the podcast, The Future Is Now, on wabcradio.com. Both services, The Future Is Now. James Eisenberg, folks, you can hear this man. It's a genius. He understands this market. Go look at the podcast. You can, James, where can people find you very quickly if they need to find you and explore what you're doing more? Yeah, interblockcapital.com. Interblockcapital.com. James Eisenberg, thank you so much for your time. New York, you're making a huge mistake. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snelly. We're coming back with much more right after this. Radio 77, Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. As much time as we did spend, and we went over a few minutes because it's just so important what is happening with blockchain and with crypto and with the future of New York. As you heard, the billions and billions of dollars that is wrapped into this. But there are some cautionary flags. And John Casamichitis just texted me, and thank you so much, John, for raising this point, that crypto is okay if, this is what John says, he says crypto is okay when it's backed by a major bank or a major financial institution. Otherwise, it could be a big Ponzi scheme like Bitcoin. Now, there are reports, and there's another report today, about people that have lost a lot of money. But the money that they lost went directly into other people's, this gets a little complicated, into other people's wallets, not into the the people like Coinbase that are really dealing, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, this is an area, this is why I point people to our podcast, The Future Is Now, because we do talk about that. Like any other investment, people have to research it, they have to know what they're doing, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted uh, James to explain the basics of this. But, folks, this isn't going away. Fidelity, just this week, um, Fidelity has a spinoff now, a subsidiary, where they're moving into the cryptocurrency. You heard Mr. Eisenberg say that some of the other major financial institutions are moving into it. Some state governments are moving into it, which is why it's important for as many of you to become aware of it. But John Casamitidis is absolutely right. If you do not know what you're doing in this, you shouldn't put a dime of your money up until you understand the risk, and unlike any other investment, and understand what you're doing. Let's head to the telephones, shall we? Let us start with Barbara in Babylon. Thank you for waiting. Thank you for holding. You've been waiting a while. I wanted to get to you, Barbara. What's on your mind this morning? Hi. Good morning, James. Um, and to change the subject. I'm a former um, New York teacher, uh, an oddball, because I'm not a liberal. And um, 
so many of us teachers are. I worked with students who were um, at risk, severely at risk, so much so that they couldn't be um, um, serviced in their home school districts. So I thought to myself after the shooting, this school shooting as a teacher, what to do? I didn't know and I don't know what to do if I find a student who I think is, is really, really at risk. A uh, student like um, your guest, who's brilliant, had said that, um, you know, this, this fellow in Uvalde, I heard one time they said that he cut his face. He's, he began wearing black. He, he, uh, he was a loner and so on. And these are marks that teachers can do and can identify and refer. So there are people designated in each school for child abuse, but not for um, you know, red flagging and follow following through on a red flag. Now, Lloyd Alexander, m- many years ago in 2018, sponsored the School Safety and Mental Health Services Improvement Act that obviously didn't pass. Tim Scott and a bunch of other um, senators, I believe, are, have picked this up. There is a disconnect. They picked though, it up, but guess what? But I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, hon. But they picked it up, but guess who stopped it? New York Senator yeah. Chuck Schumer stopped it dead oh, in its tracks. That's and so, one thing I'm so ashamed of being a New Yorker with Chuck Schumer as my representative, and 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 I hope that they they recognize the importance of this and and follow through on something. With Tim Scott's a, a person, I think would follow through. There's the best practices practices clearinghouse that I believe has to do with the federal with the. Um, the actual plant, the buildings, okay, and that's that's federal. Uh, you know, the extreme risk protection order. Um, you know, these things are there, but I was never trained in these as a teacher. Teachers need more training and how to deal with this, how to recognize it, how to stem it before it happens. Um, and and there has to be some coordination. I, I think of the uh, fire department, how their radios failed the department and the people in 9-11 because the radios very often were not working. I don't know if, you know, to me, I see that as related because there's a disconnect. That's what I mean by disconnect. And I needed to speak with you uh, because you founded, you founded, uh, um, you know, a coalition or, a, or um, um, and, and, th- and those are the kind of things that we, are going to be <clears throat> supporting and looking at more information. And I thank you for that, Barbara, really very much. But let, let me go back to this, <clears throat> because you raised something that is really important, and that is these red flag issues. This is where the politics intersects. And thank you so much, Barbara. Great call. I hope to hear from you again. Thank you for the, your wise and, and very prudent information here. Let us go back to what happened at Parkland, shall we? At Parkland High School, there were so many red flags that this guy was a problem. He had committed crimes in the school, but they were not reported to the authorities. They were not reported to the authorities because of, and and I'm not just saying this because trying to, to, to blame Obama for something, but because this is true. The Obama administration's Department of Education said they wanted to stop what they called a school-to-prison pipeline. So, because it was racially unfair, 
because black kids were getting harmed by it more. And so what they did, they stopped reporting certain crimes to the local police and instead tried to have the school interdict the guidance counselors take over when certain acts happened. And as a result, the police had no idea this kid was so troubled. And that was one of the reasons he was able to pass a background check and buy a weapon. And those kind of those kind of <clears throat> those kind of policies in schools have to be have to be addressed. <clears throat> Not only do the teachers need to know and the administrators who the bad actors are, but the police, law enforcement, and anybody responsible for background checks need to understand who the bad actors are in these school early if we're going to ever successfully wrap our arms around this violence in schools. We have to know who the bad actors are. And we cannot have politically correct policies blocking the proper authorities from getting that information. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. Back, more of your calls, more news right after this. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Remember, Cousin Brucey. Tonight, music, radio, WABC, Dina Martin on the weekend, Joe Piscopo, too, with the Ramsey Mazda Sinatra show. And if you're a Sinatra fan like me, I mean, you just, who doesn't love Frank Sinatra? There's a great, I think I've mentioned this before, there's a great, and I mean great, documentary on the life of Frank Sinatra that Netflix was running. I don't know whether it's in their current lineup, but if you can find it, if you're a Frank uh, fan, Frank Sinatra fan, gotta see. It is a must-see. It is really amazing, and it's really, it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen on a music figure. Let's head back to the telephones. John, Staten Island, you're on WABC Talk Radio 77. If you want to be part of our program, all you have to do is call 800-848-WABC, 800-848-WABC. And don't forget, folks, download that 77WABC app. Go to WABCradio.com to stream 77WABC worldwide. And when you download the 77WABC app, be sure to check out the podcast section. You'll find all of my podcasts, including The Future Is Now, where we get in-depth about crypto blockchain, and the new coming economy, and the scams involved in it as well. And you can find podcasts from every other WABC radio host. Red Apple Media has them, and it is a tremendous library of great podcasts. Let's go to John. As said before, John, hi. Welcome. Hello, John. Well, moving on to Richie in the Bronx. Welcome, Richie, WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good morning, Mr. Snurdly. Good morning. Um, Gun control presents a paradox. It gives to one of the entities that the Second Amendment 
was designed to provide protection against the domestic government the power to deny us the right to keep and bear arms. That's an interesting point of view. From the beginning of our country, there's been a tug of war on the what Joe Biden, I guess, would call whether I, whether the Constitution is, quote-unquote, absolute. Now, there have been laws, which is why, by the way, we have a Supreme Court, when there's a conflict with what people believe are the constitutional parameters. There have been laws in the past that have limited what weapons people could buy. If you remember during the the gangster era, the era where you have, um, what was that movie Johnny Depp was in? Uh, John Dillinger, public enemy number one, that was the name of it. There were Tommy guns. And these Tommy guns, the first machine guns, I mean, you talk about being able to 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 just unload a lot of rounds in seconds, they were banned. They're still banned. You're not allowed to buy Tommy guns and use them. And so part of me, to be totally candid with you, part of me says, okay, that actually was a good law. But what you hear liberals doing now, everything that they don't like, they claim it is an assault weapon. That's the catchphrase. And if you notice the, the style, what, what is happening right now in news reporting, we, reporters are not saying an AR-15. They are saying it is an AR-15 style weapon. So then anything in that style should be banned. And you know what's happened as a result of that? The number of AR-15 style weapons is going, the sale is going out of the roof. Because people are now concerned that if the Democrats do get their way, and if they're able to pass gun control, they won't be able to buy a weapon of their choice. Now, one of the things that is never talked about by Democrats, and I'm going to continue to talk about it, is this. It wasn't long ago in America that American children in some and, and young adults, rather than, say, children, used to take their guns with them to school. They used to have racks on the back of their car in, in, in places where, in rural areas, they take their guns to school, leave them outside on their gun racks, or put them in their locker at school. And after school, they used to go out and hunt. There were no concerns that these kids would turn to be mad actors and go through blasting students and teachers. Why? Because there was a common moral compass that operated in this country. And people, these mass shootings were unheard of. In fact, if you remember, at the time of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, it was such a shocking story across America because these kind of mass shootings, even among criminals, didn't happen. Now... What we are told is that there are over 200 mass shootings a year. So far this year, what has changed in America so dramatically? One of the first things that has 
that I can point to is that there isn't the same regard for the sanctity of life. And I think that there's not even an argument about that. And how can there be the same respect for the sanctity of life when you have a wholesale genocide that is happening inside Planned Parenthood clinics all around America? When you also have a culture that supports gangsterism, when you have a culture, a culture that supports criminals, when you where, where criminals are looked up to, and forgive me for once again pointing this out, those of you who listen to the show regularly, I do not ever want to sound like a broken record and over and over again, but this can, we can never move from this place in America until we get hold of a culture that says the street life is okay, that the street life is glorified. And if you don't know what the street life is, it's the life of thuggery. It's the life of drugs and free sex everywhere. Drugs, drugs, sex, bling, pimping, hoeing. And all this is, quote, unquote, the life. And going to jail isn't looked at as something bad. It's just your rite of passage into becoming a better criminal. We cannot continue to exist while, while one entire segment of our population, and it is a huge segment, promotes immorality on such a wholesale level. James, you can be in a Johnny Good, a Johnny Good Two Shoes, a Goody Two Shoes. No, there is a right and a wrong. And when America forgets that there is a right or a wrong, America is in trouble. When young children grow up without realizing that taking someone's life, that taking life is a serious matter, there are problems. Look, these first-person shooter games... I say to people, why aren't you talking about these first-person shooter games? Have you ever seen teenage kids addicted to these things? It's scary. And these first-person shooter gangs are very vivid. We have an entire culture. It's in the music. It's in the video games. It's in the print media in certain cases that has adopted this street life as a way of life in America. And before we can heal ourselves as a nation, the street life has to be eradicated. It has to be looked again with people saying, no, this is not a direction for anybody to go in. That will deal with some of the violence in the cities. As for the specifics of some of the school violence, we know who some, what some of the signs are. And instead of having this politically correct view about profiling and how profiling is bad, profiling is good. Profiling means you have warning signs that you can take advantage of to avert future disasters and to help people who need help. There are serious profiles with these shooters. We know what some of the signs are. Autry was talking about that when he was with us in the first hour. When these kids present themselves as being 
a problem, there needs to be interdiction early. Early. Not just, oh, he's a little weird. He's weird. Oh, he's too quiet. Oh, he might be one of those, but we don't know. We we shouldn't we 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 shouldn't we shouldn't say anything to him. We know who some of these problem kids are. We have another full hour to go. In the next hour, Princess of Policy Diana Me joins us. There's some January 6th stuff hanging out there that we have to talk about, some of these indictments, Peter Navarro in particular, and also Democrats are petrified that Trump voters are actually going to be part of the election seen by showing up at the polls to poll watch. A lot more coming. James Golden, Bo Snerdley. My Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues right after this. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is our number trio, well, Trey, the third hour of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Remember, Cousin Brucey comes up at night, Larry Kudlow, right after the show today. There's a report that I find somewhat amusing. This was in Fox Business. Starbucks is closing a New York cafe in what the union and what the union calls retaliation. The union representing Starbucks workers at a cafe in New York State claims the location is being closed by the company as retaliation for unionizing. The Workers United Union. Workers United Union filed a complaint with the U.S. National Labor Relations Board yesterday. They accused the company of violating federal labor law. That's because Starbucks says they're going to close an Ithaca, New York store that it alleged was in retaliation for workers' activism. Now, Starbucks, which I fondly refer to as Charbucks, said the closure isn't related to the store recently being unionized. But the facility had staffing, time, and attendance issues. And Starbucks said, with deep care and urgency, we continuously work to create the kind of store environment that partners and customers expect of of Starbucks. Our goal is to ensure that every partner is supported in their individual situation and that we have immediate opportunities available in the marketplace. What a lot of gobbledygook. What does any of that mean? Here's what it means. I mean, hey, oh, y'all want to union? Hey, okay. Y'all want to unionize? We got something for you. And now I'm not saying that that's what Starbucks says. No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying these the, the, the workers there have some problems timing and, and, and their attendance issues and, and people, I guess, when they say time and attendance issues, showing up to work on time. So you know what? Never mind. We'll close that joint down. So it just happens to be one of the union places. And it, it's just a coincidence. 
Who are you going to believe? Starbucks or these union guys? I just, I just find this hysterical. You know, Starbucks, the liberal company, Seattle company, steeped in liberalism. And as soon as a union comes in, oh, really? Y'all want a union? <laughs> this story is an ABC News story from Georgia. From Georgia. Teen threatened death for young thug arrest. This is kind of street life stuff I was talking about, folks. Get this. The story's dateline from Hotlanta or Atlanta. Georgia officials have arrested an 18-year-old boy who they say threatened online to kill a sheriff and his wife. Why did the 18-year-old boy, you ask, go online and threaten to kill a sheriff and his wife? i tell you why. The young... The, the young 18-year-old was upset because the sheriff had arrested two rappers. One of the rappers is named Young Thug. The other rapper is named Gunna, G-U-N-N-A, Gunna. So Young Thug and Gunna were arrested. And then this young teenager was so upset that young thug and gunner were arrested that he went online and threatened to kill, allegedly, the sheriff and his wife. The young man in questions, his name is Quartavius. Quartavius. Quartavius Minder was booked into the Fulton County Jail, 23 counts of making terroristic threats. He's being held without bail. Now, if he were in New York or San Francisco, he'd be back on the street in no time because we don't believe in you can show up with a gun. You can commit crimes in New York City or in, in San Francisco or L.A. There's a story. Oh, Princess of Policy, I'm going to ask her about this. There's a story that took place in L.A. that's just a, it's, it's beyond comprehension with another one of these Soros DAs. But anyway, this guy's being held without bail. Cortavius. Cortavius. It's almost like a Roman name with, with, the, with his first name is Quart. Like, I want a quart of milk. On a court of something, Cortavius Minder. 23 counts of making a terroristic threat because he was really ticked that the rapper, Young Thug, and another rapper, Gunna, were arrested. Now, this Young Thug, the rapper, leads the Young Slime Life Gang. He's a gang leader. His gang is called the Young Slime Life Gang. He and 27 others were arrested under Georgia state racketeering law. The gang members 
this entertainer, young thug and gunner, engaged in the gang, the young slime life gang, engaged in murders, shootings, carjackings, and other crimes. This is the street life that I am saying to you is so prevalent in many neighborhoods. And you won't hear Al Sharpton, Jesse, you won't hear BLM. They're too busy buying mansions with donor money. You won't hear any of these groups talking about this thug life. Young thug Gunner gets arrested and Gunner. And so good old 18-year-old Cortavius Mender goes online to threaten to kill the sheriff and his wife. This is amazing. Florida. Florida police are searching for a pair of women who brutally attacked a fast food worker. What did the fast food worker do? Well, there was a dispute over somebody's order. There was apparently, or at least the two women thought there was an error in items that they were giving. They both went in. They jawed with the chaffer from Steak and Shake. Then they, quote-unquote, breached an employee area of the restaurant, repeatedly punched the victim in the face. Video of the incident shows the workers' shell-shocked colleagues watching the beatdown. One of the workers tried to intervene. The victim tried to defend herself. The two females then drug her out into the restaurant lobby, the worker finally crumpled to the floor, and these two women kicked her in the head. One of the suspects then pulled out a firearm and threatened to shoot the bloodied employee. They fled in their silver Honda CRV. Police are still looking for them. The street life. I referenced this story earlier. This is a tragic story. Texas grandpa, four grandsons, allegedly slaughtered by an escaped inmate. Texas inmate who escaped custody three weeks ago, suspected of slaughtering a 66-year-old man and four of his grandsons hours before cops shot him dead. Gonzalo Lopez, 46, died in a shootout with the cops Jordan Town, Texas, that's outside of San Antonio. He was driving a pickup truck owned by the granddad who was slain. The grandfather, his grandchildren were found dead in the cabin. 100 miles out of Houston, 200 miles from where Lopez met his end. And this killer, who, there's another report, this is the New York Post version of the story. There's another uh, story in the Daily Mail today that says this guy belong to a Mexican gang. I was looking to see whether he's in the country legally, could never find that out from the story, whether he was or not. But this guy was already serving two life sentences for murder. He escaped from a prison bus on May 12th. This is amazing. He managed to get himself freed from his bonds, got out of a metal cage, stabbed the driver, with an unknown object, got off the bus for a moment, hopped back on the prison bus, drove it for a short distance before 
Corrections officers fired shots, disabled the bus. He somehow got out, got into the woods, was free for three weeks, already again in jail for two murders, two life sentences, capital murder, now murders five other people. The question I have, Texas, really? Life sentence for two murders? That doesn't sound like Texas at all. Usually, in Texas, they take this kind of stuff seriously. (sighs) Boy, I tell you. There is one more story, but time is fleeting, and I want to get with Princess Di really quickly. So I will do the other story a little bit later before we leave here. you got to hear this story. It's another Florida story. But first, a few brief messages. We'll come right back. And our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues right here on WABC, crown jewel of American radio. Don't go away. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, so pleased to be with the princess of policy, the one, the only, the brilliant, the lovely, the talented, the amazing princess Di. Are you going over to the Jubilee to, um, I saw Queenie over there, and, and, and uh, what's his name, got booed over there, um, the, the, the Harry, and, and what's her name, the, the, the wife of Harry? Megan. Marvel? Yeah, 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 your relatives. Um, <laughs> she got booed over there. They got booed. How does that happen? And then, no, the, yeah, and the queen, she's about what? How old is Queen uh, Queen Lizzie? I think she's in her 90s, but I'm not sure on the exact age. Shame on you. Not sure on the, your, shame on you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't invited to the Jubilee, so I did not study up. Oh, Okay. Uh, there's a sad story, Dan. I want to, before we go political, well, overtly political, this DA, how do these DAs stay in office? You, you read the story about this, this, this case in San, is it San Francisco? L.A. L.A. This is L.A. This, that's right. It's Gasson. Gasson. George Gasson. He's a Soros DA. Right. There was a woman walking with a, her baby, her baby. In a stroller, she sees a car coming toward her. She squeezes against the building, moves the stroller, because this car looks like it's headed toward her at a high rate of speed. So she she gets to the side. The car slams right into her and her baby. This woman is thrown onto the car. And it must be mother's something. Remarkably, she gets right up and runs to her baby to see whether the baby's okay. It turns out there's some 16-year-old thug driving this car. And 16 years old, he gets probation. He tried to murder both of them. Gasson gives him probation in a juvie camp and says, and, and this woman is outraged. 
She's saying the DA there doesn't value her life or the life of her baby. How? I don't understand this, Diana. Well, if you understood how Soros thinks, you would understand it. I mean, it's evil. It's pure evil. And there's a reason you were confused for a minute about whether or not it was San Francisco or L.A. This guy used to be the San Francisco DA. And then he had a similar controversy, and he resigned to take care of his mother. That was his line. And then George Soros gave him millions again to run for that same position, uh, district attorney in Los Angeles. And within six months, he was already subject to a recall collection uh, election, and that is still ongoing. They are still gathering signatures. He is highly unpopular in L.A., which is as left-wing as you can get, but they, uh, the voters can't believe that he literally does not prosecute criminals, even though he is district attorney. In fact, just yesterday, the appeals court in L.A. ordered him that he has to enforce the three strikes law. He was just ignoring the law. And you know when someone has two strikes and then they commit another crime, there is a really terrible and awful uh, penitentiary time done for people who make the third strike. And he was simply not enforcing that law. And the, the appeals court in L.A. said, no, you have to enforce the law if the three strikes law applies, you have to actually prosecute it. So we will see whether or not the recall election is successful. I think it will be, actually. That's my prediction. And I think it needs to happen to all George Soros-funded uh, DAs across the country. And this is, if you, folks, if you see this uh, this video, you can see the video at the Daily Mail UK. If you see this video, I'm telling you, you will be horrified. It is Horrific! Looking at this car, and the car turns right into this mother and her baby. Well, that's the thing, James. I have to say that when you first hear about this, they actually were not seriously hurt. And so if you did not know from her victim impact uh, statement, the mother... You would not know. She said she looked him in the eye. She, she, they locked eyes, and she saw he deliberately turned into her. If you didn't see the video or know the details of the case from her, she was allowed to produce a victim impact statement after the judge had already issued the sentence. So this idea that she was allowed, and she is so frustrated, she's like, what good does a victim impact statement do if the judge never looked at the video, he didn't allow me to have my victim impact statement while he was adjudicating it? So this is not all, this is a deliberate attempted murder. And because he was young, you know, he basically goes to camp for a few months. And he'll be out, and no doubt he will be behaving this way again. Now let's talk about Peter Navarro. Okay. Okay, Peter Navarro. I love Peter. 
Peter Navarro, I have to start out by saying that I just love Peter Navarro. He has been one of my favorite Trump um, appointees from the get-go. I think he and Wilbur Ross were really primarily responsible for a lot of the uh, enactment of Trump economic policies and uh, trade policies. And so I credit him a, a great deal. So I am on his side from the jump on this, even though the entire Obama, I mean, I'm probably right about that. The entire Biden regime is coming down hard on him. And I have to tell you, there's an interesting timeline, which nobody is reporting. And that is he sued Peter Navarro, sued Nancy Pelosi, uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Schiff and the January 6th committee. On Tuesday, he was challenging the the committee subpoenas. He said that my hands are tied. I cannot give you this information. You want documents. You want my testimony because Trump has uh, asserted executive privilege. And I cannot testify or give you documents because the president has asserted executive privilege over our communications. So he filed suit on Tuesday. He went on MSNBC, interestingly enough, on Thursday night, and he basically said during that time when he was explaining his lawsuit that he would lead the charge if Republicans come back into power uh, to impeach Joe Biden. That was Thursday night. And Thursday night, the Department of Justice uh, indicted him that same night. So he is a fighter, which is why I love him. And he is not going gently into that good night. He's fighting them. And that is why talk about retaliation. This is a retaliatory indictment. He, uh, the Department of Justice on the same day declined to prosecute a couple of other people. Meadows, they're not going to prosecute. Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino. And Dan Scavino, and that's right. because they negotiated with the committee. They played, you know, nice, and they had their lawyers basically say, um, you know, we'll, we'll give you some things. And Peter Navarro didn't go that route. He basically said, no, I can't legally, and I want to adjudicate this. And he said, it's a separation of powers issue. You cannot, because Biden has waived privilege for Trump, a, a current president can't waive executive, executive privilege, privilege from, from a media. former president. Right. Yeah. And this is going to so be tied up in a, court for years. Now, here's what they did to Navarro. point of view. They put they put Navarro in shackles. They put yep. this 72-year-old man who's a threat to nobody. They put him in shackles, and then for added measure, they threw him in the same jail cell that they threw presidential would-be assassin John Hinckley. Yes. This is outrageous what, what they're doing to this man. It's all retaliatory, and it's because he is not playing ball. He's going to fight. He's, he's go, you know, basically going down swinging. And he has a case, and that's why they're afraid to have this civil lawsuit that he filed be adjudicated. And he basically said – he said this. He said this was a preemptive strike by the Department of Justice to prevent my civil suit from going forward, and shame on that. And it is a shame. But, of course, the Department of Justice is politicized, as we know. Corrupt. And if you recall, Eric Holder was also held in contempt of Congress. And they did nothing to him. Do you remember leg irons? Do you remember, you know, being pulled off a plane? 
So no. this this went away because he is, I mean, it's nice to be a Democrat. It sure is. There is a two-tiered system of justice in this country. Last story, we began talking about this yesterday, and I want to close the loop on this. The political, there is a political article that is, I don't know how many pages when you print it out. These folks are in terror, and it is a story designed to uh, invoke fear on behalf of the political class in Washington, D.C., which is why it's in Politico. And the story pretends that for the first time in American history, get this, for the first time in American history, according to Politico, Republicans are going to show up at the polls and become poll watchers and take part in the election system. And they see this at, at Politico as a severe threat to the, to the entire republic. And the republic could fall because Republicans, and these are not just Republicans, these are Trump Republicans. And they are going to be in polling places. And this has never happened in America before. I know. It's so funny. This is a hilarious article. And Vanity Fair picked up on it as well, saying it goes without saying enlisting election deniers to exert influence over the voting process poses a major threat to the Democratic system. So the the entire political world is upset. It's very interesting that Politico got video recordings of a bunch of meetings that were held by Republican operatives. And there's no controversy over that, as there always is with Project Veritas. When they have videos released to them by a whistleblower, it become, that becomes the story. It's just they've been censored. They've been edited. It's, you know, basically it becomes how did these recordings, how the problems with the recordings. But with this story, that's not even an issue. How Politico got hold of these meetings that Republicans were having, which is all above board. As Politico, if you read it closely, the, the Republicans are simply utilizing rules that are designed to provide political balance among poll workers. And how dare Republicans utilize political rules that are legit? Only Democrats can commit politics. And so what has happened, which is what's upsetting to them, is that Republicans learned that they could be poll workers, which is different than poll watchers, which is what Republicans have always done. And if you remember, they were always locked out of doing anything. They were, you know, big pieces of newsprint over the windows. They were pulled out by police because they were supposedly disobeying COVID rules, so they couldn't look at what what was happening. Well, the Republicans looked into it, and this is actually a Steve Bannon idea of precinct strategy, is they realized they could actually be part of the election system according to law. And so they have been training people to do this, And the Democrats have no choice but to to select from the list that Republicans give them to appoint poll workers. And they're stuck because that is all done according to the law. Well, of course, now Politico and the, the press is all acting like this is some shock to the system. It's for the first time there might be the beginning of an even playing field. And you know the Democrat cheating 
system cannot survive any even playing field. Yeah, this is going to be, an, and I just want to remind people once again of a story. We talked about this briefly yesterday, and I want to remind people of this before we, we have to go to a break. And again, a disclaimer, media executives, please take a deep breath. This is not a threat story. This is not a conspiracy kook story. This does not pertain to the last election, although it should. The AP has come out with a story that reports the federal government's cyber agency, the number one agency, the only agency in the federal government that looks after all matters in the cyber world has determined that in a number of states, this was from the Associated Press, this is not James Golden, this is not Bo Snurley, this is not Princess Di, this is the Associated Press. The Associated Press said this week there are security problems that make some of the Dominion voting machines that are in several states around the country vulnerable to be hacked. (laughs) Impossible. We were told that's not possible. Yes. Apparently, it is. Never mind. I have to mention one thing. Before I go, I know you have to go to a break, but this week, the January 6th meetings start, the hearings, Thursday at 8 p.m. prime time. So this is going to be the latest programming that they want to do to manipulate the American public. It's not COVID. It's not Ukraine. It's not guns. It's not uh, reparations, although that may be next. But it's January 6th. We all must be focused on starting Thank you. I'll be sure to watch. Not. (laughs) (laughs) James, thank you. Princess Di, your highness, always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you, Sir James. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, with you here. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza continues right after this. Talk Radio 77, WABC, entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on the air. 77, WABC. Marvin Gaye, the marvelous Marvin. Uh, brings us back on 77 WABC. Well, we have a story this morning from the Daily Mail, the Daily Mail UK. Here's the headline. <sighs> Here's the headline. I'm working up my courage, folks. Here's the headline. Florida woman performing oral sex on driver nearly bites his penis off in head-on collision. Well, what could possibly have happened here? Florida woman performing oral sex on driver nearly bites his penis off in head on collision. A Florida driver 
nearly had his penis bitten off by a woman giving him oral sex after he lost control. Lost control of his car in a head-on collision. Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue responded to an accident on North Ocean Boulevard and 19th Street on Thursday after the unidentified man crashed his vehicle into a FedEx van. Authorities told Local 10 News that the man lost control of the vehicle around 7 p.m. after becoming distracted by his girlfriend's sexual acts. The couple the couple was found half-naked in their SUV. They can be seen in photographs laying on the ground. The man appears to be in pain. I wonder why. The man appears to be in pain as officers gather around him while he laid on his back. The woman... Who had her jeans around her ankles, laid face down on the pavement in nothing but her underwear and a white tank top. The driver sustained injuries in his groin area. Otherwise, he was fine. The woman was said to have sustained mild injuries on impact. Two passengers in the FedEx vehicles were said to be fine. They sustained mild injuries. In photos, it appears the two were casually lying on the sidewalk as they waited for authorities to deal with the crash so far. Nobody's been charged in the accident, and police have not released the names. The photos show crash damage significant. To both vehicles, the black SUV's hood was completely crushed. The van also had significant damage to its hood. It appears that the airbags were deployed, not known how fast either driver was going when the head collision, the head-on collision took place. And that, my friends... It's news from the lovely state of Florida. Let us return back to the telephones. John is back with us in Staten Island. Welcome, John. You're on WABC with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley. Oh, I hope I got you this time. You got me. All right. Oh, no head-on collisions mention, here. Go ahead. The, the um, gun, these gun charges, I mean, when we go back to Parkland, which was in February 2018, we had a House minority leader or a majority leader at that time, I think it was Paul Ryan, who left it January 19th. He had no time to fix the three-year debacle of trying to stump Trump with all these false charges. But he had no time when the president sat down with the uh, Parkland uh, families. And he could have done something about the school stuff way back when. So Paul Ryan comes out now talking about, uh, you know, a lot of politicians are being, uh, what is it, entertainers? Right. Well, Paul Ryan was an entertainer because he didn't do absolutely nothing. He should get out of the Republican Party and keep his mouth shut. 
Paul Ryan is uh, not well-liked by many people in the base, and for good reason. And you have just illustrated one of the reasons. Thank you so much for your call. You're welcome. Thank you. Joe, Jackson, New Jersey, thank you so much for waiting. Joe, what's on your mind this morning? James, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm I'm from Philadelphia. I'm an ex-Marine. Okay, I... I love the music, the Motown music I grew up with in Philadelphia. You know, you play, you just had Smokey on there and Marvin Gaye and The Temptations. You mentioned My Girl. It's one of my favorite songs. I just want to say how Biden has ruined this country. It pains me. Because, like I said, I I was in the United States Marine Corps a long time ago, and it pains me to see what's happening. And I'm so glad you're on the radio informing everybody about what's going on. Thank you so much for such a wonderful call, Joe. I appreciate it so very, very much. Call us back and simplify, my friend. Tim, San Diego, California. Welcome, WABC Talk Radio 77. Hey, Bo, you don't, you don't know me, but we have spoken no fewer than 20 times over the years on uh, wow. another, gentleman's, another gentleman's program. Um, but before I make my point about that story out of Florida, uh, I just want to say that uh, I saw Demiola, uh, Paco de Lucia, and John McLaughlin at Carnegie Hall that uh, back in, in the day that you saw them. Where did you see them? Long Island, I think, maybe? But I... um, <clears throat> That's- I didn't see them in person. I saw Demiola on TV. I saw Chick Corea's oh. Return to Forever on TV. The conversation that I had with Al Demiola yesterday was for the record books. You wait till the podcast is ready to be published. It is amazing. He has stories in this podcast yeah. that I guarantee you nobody, well, probably unless he's talked about it with other people, but the stories he has about the playing that he did with not just Chick Corea, he has a great Stevie Wonder story. He has a great um, story uh, concerning Jaco Pastorius. It is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's good. I can't wait. Um, anyway, getting back to that uh, that story out of Florida with the, you know, the head-on collision. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember Rush mentioning years ago that uh, the adedictomy. That guy almost needed the adedictomy. <laughs> almost. Wow. He was, yes, you're quite right. That's right. And that was one of, that's exactly right. That was, folks, the reference there is at the beginning of the transgender movement, uh, Rush defined that the surgery as being an adedictomy that was required. Thank you so much, Tim. Do appreciate, appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Let us go to Bill in Lafayette, New Jersey. Bill, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. Hey, that is a great story about that driver. And, you know, it's amazing. Most normal heterosexual men just let that little head control the big head and, um, <laughs> All of a sudden, you're swerving off the street, and everything's blanked out, and you don't know what the hell you're doing. But, um, you know, um, I used to work in New York City, and I would hear Marvin Gaye. Um, At lunchtime, I would frequent uh, a couple of the bars and go see some of the pole dancers, and I remember Marvin Gaye singing, Let's Get It On. And uh, that was a pretty hot scene. (laughs) I bet it was. Huh? I said, I bet it was. 
It was, and this was back in the early 70s. Life was pretty good in, in New York. And, you know, the Commodores, they're great, too. But what I wanted to say was, <clears throat> and you've reiterated this numerous times, that it is an ongoing one-way street with Republicans only are investigated. Democrats are never investigated. They can do no wrong, i.e. Chuck Schumer. He should be thrown out on his butt, but there's not even one negative comment made about him or Biden or any of the other clan. Um, where are the Republicans yelling, impeach Biden, impeach Biden? You know that if Trump were reelected, they'd be screaming their heads off 24-7. And in the meantime, here's Biden systematically destroying and bankrupting America. And, you know, you'll ask people at the media channel 247 with Biden, everything is just peachy keen. What exactly. a bunch of crap. And let me tell you something, by the way, there is a story today or yesterday in either WAPO or New York Times about the baby food shortage that is still continuing and how it is affecting people's lives and putting lives in danger. And that is still going on as well. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdle. Remember, Larry Kudlow comes up next. Also, remember, you can never have to worry about missing a minute of Bo Snurdle's Rush Hour. That happens 4 o'clock every afternoon. All you have to do, listen live worldwide on the 77 WABC app or online at WABCradio.com. We're coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC. That's Chick Corea. The group has returned to forever. This was from their breakthrough album. Where have I known you before? Al Demiola, 19 years old. Stanley Clark, Lenny White, and of course, the magnificent keyboards of Chick Corea. Glenn in Howard Beach, welcome WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. Hey, Bo, listen, uh, the guy stole my thunder before about the uh, night and uh, the evening in San Francisco with Delucia, um, Demiola, and McLaughlin. But uh, I want to call you back. You have to listen to that album, and I want to call you for your listen opinion. listen to it. I listen to it. It is incredible. And I asked Al Demiola about it. When I spoke with him, we have a podcast coming up with Al Demiola. Al Demiola is going to be performing in New York this week. Uh, the 7th through the 12th, he will be at the Blue Note. And, Glenn, we, let me just play you a little snippet from the conversation that I had with Al Demiola yesterday. Go ahead. Okay. Wow. Okay, here's the snippet. I called I back home in New Jersey. And I, and I relayed the story to to this guy who was like my big brother. He was like seven years older than me, friend of my sister's, and and he was like a, an amateur recording engineer. And he was like this like kind of old hippie type, like a Woodstock hippie guy, always high, you know. Anyway, Michael was his name, Michael Bayukis. Michael 
I tell him the story, and he took it upon himself to find a tape that he had made of me playing with the Barry Miles Quartet in New Jersey prior to going to Berkeley. So he uh, he just went in the city, and he found Chick. He found out where the management lived. They all kind of lived in the same apartment on the Upper, upper West Side. And he just hounded them. He said, you've got to hear this tape. You've got to hear. It really was a special tape of a live show. And uh, I get this call from Chick while I was in my apartment in Boston. And he goes, oh, is this Aldi Miller? I said, yes. Uh, who's this? It's Chick Corea. I said, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not Chick Corea. No <laughs> he said, no, this is Chick. Your friend Mike came over with a tape, and we're all knocked out. It would love for you to come to New York and join the band. And it wasn't like try out for the band, join the band. So, I, you know, I was, I, I thought it was a, a very surreal moment for me, right? So, uh, you know, I, I just packed my bag and I went back to New Jersey. Went to my parents' house in Bergenfield, New Jersey. And uh, knocked on the screen door because my mother always had it locked during the day. And she goes, what are you doing home from school? Like, all excited and everything. I said, well, I'm playing at Carnegie Hall on Tuesday night. <laughs> my, father was, my father's in the background going, you're not playing Carnegie Hall. Get the hell out of here. You're not playing Carnegie Hall. I said, Dad, I'm playing Carnegie Hall. No, you're not. Stop it now. What are you doing home from school? I said, Dad, I've got the chance of a lifetime. You know, and his, uh, his name is Chick Corea. He goes, who's Chuck Corea? I never heard of Chuck Corea. <laughs> no, it's Chick Corea, Dad. So that. Four nights later, I think we had two or three rehearsals in the city, really difficult charts, but I could read music, and I think that's really, you know, how I got the gig. It would have been impossible for somebody to learn it that fast without reading knowledge. And uh, that's it. My first gig was Carnegie Hall. I was nervous as hell. And that led to a whole month on the road doing a combination of theaters, clubs, and stadiums. The stadiums were part of, like, the Newport Jazz Festival with a lot of other acts. And then at the end of that uh, three-week tour, we went into the record plant recording studios in New York. John Lennon was in the next room, so then it became ultra surreal for me, you know. Just a wild ride, and it's been like that ever since. Just a wild ride. That is an incredible story. That is uh, my that is Al Demiola, and again, nineteen years old, a student at Berkeley. One of his friends gets a tape, gets it to Chick Corea. Immediately, they want him in the band. It's so good. A few days later, his first gig at Carnegie Hall, first recording session. A few days later, in the room next door, John Lennon. Amazing. Let us go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil, time's running out. Wanted to get you in. You've been waiting a while. Welcome to Bo Snurdly, Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Hi. I'm always grateful for the welcome. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to give you a quick, quick, uh, uh, I told you I'd bring you up today on some record business stuff. Back when the FIL was like equivalent to ABC and KHJ, you know, when the top 40s were like the top five there, you know. They had a concert at the Echelon Mall. And I had Mandrill on Polydor. And they closed on a Saturday night with 100,000 people on the Echelon parking lot. The crowd would not leave unless they opened up the next morning because war was going to close Sunday night. 
and the crowd stayed all night because they demanded that Mandrill had to op- open up the show on Sunday morning. And it was like an incredible experience, you know? That is amazing. Just... Now, those were two groups. And by the way, I saw that tour. That was Mandrill. And we have to play some Mandrill one day. Fence Walk, all those great hits from Mandrill. And War of Cisco Kid. Why can't we be friends? And all that stuff. So, Phil, once again, great story. Love it. Let us go to Vince in Long Island. Time is fleeing. We're going to get as many calls as possible. Thank you. Vince, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning, Mr. Golden. It's an actual honor to speak to you, sir. My questions have changed while I'm waiting, so if that's okay. How about a your own radio station on this network that we can listen to your music, your choices, your suggestions? That'd be, that'd be great. I mean, you, I, I'm sitting here talk, thinking politic questions, and also I'm getting these guys talking about your background of music and history. It, it's just it's a joy to have some something different. Thank you so much. You made my day. That is an interesting thought. One of these days, <clears throat> if I ever have time, would love to do a music show and also have some of my friends who are in the business come in and talk about it. So you never know. Things could happen. Thank you so much. Appreciate that very much. Gail, Staten Island. Welcome. You're on WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Good morning, James. You know, when they took Peter Navarro away, it reminded me of years ago, uh, Whitewater, when they took away Susan McDougal under that Whitewater vibe. Yes. Uh, it's trickle-down, dirty Democratic politics, just like uh, run by um, Hillary and Bill. They started it, the original uh, Ma Barker, and he's certainly Lucky Luciano. And they started the original smash and grab that's going on now because they smashed and grabbed her computer and their phones, and nothing happened. They took her away uh, on a Sunday. Uh, Hillary, when they were investigating her, uh, James, uh, sick to my stomach, call me, cry, 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 and uh, (laughs) did it on a Sunday under the FBI, and she came out smelling like a rose. It's unbelievable. This man is a brilliant man. He should not be not only brilliant, he just has a reputation, and he should not be treated like that. Absolutely, Gail. Thank you so much. And I hope that Peter Navarro is so successful in his lawsuit. He does not deserve, as you just said, to be treated like that. I think we have time for one more call today. Mike, Pennsylvania. Welcome, WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley. Oh, bad phone line there, I think. Mike, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Go right ahead. Aldemiola, uh, I told the producer, you know, I'm from Long Island originally, and love my music. I was a drummer back in the day in Chick Korea. You know, I can't wait for that podcast to come out. And I tuned into WABC Radio. Uh, Curtis is my age, was 68. You know, I've, I've uh, called a few shows, but I'll be listening to you, well, because uh, you know that that interview, like you said, it was a wild ride. But anyway, let me keep my eyes on the road. And uh, all these uh, speeders can get in the left lane because I'm in the right lane. Okay, you, you, Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate your call. That's right. We don't want any head-on collisions. We've had enough head-on collisions uh, for the day. Yeah, that podcast, folks, as well as all of the podcasts, listen, WABCradio.com. Remember, get that WABC app. 
you can stream worldwide anytime, day, night, afternoons on WABCradio.com. Get the WABC app. Remember, we're back with Boston Early's Rush Hour Monday at 4 o'clock. Also, keep it here, one of the most brilliant minds in American politics, Lawrence Kudlow, up next. And later tonight, Cousin Brucie. That's it. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. Be back on Monday. See you then. Bye.